Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Who's excited to be back in church? Man, I can't see anybody out there, but I'm thinking you're out there. Good, good. Man, whenever we take a sailor break, it just seems... Like, it's been a month since we're together. But it's, it's so necessary and so good for that rhythm. But, man, it's so good. We do that so that we can gather together. Amen? Um, we will not forsake the gathering of this family together. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we pray before we get started? Holy Spirit, we are so grateful that you are in this place today that you are in this temple, that you are in these temples. And we just pray for a move in our hearts towards you. That we would have open and soft hearts today, that there would be no distractions, that we can receive the word that you have for us that's so simple yet so hard to live out as we battle against the enemy and our flesh for this one thing. So God, I pray that I would step out of the way that your voice would just speak through this broken vessel into this broken people and you would show us who we really are so that we can step out of this place today with more confidence and strength and faith like never before this, so we can join with you in moving what your spirit is doing in this city, in this church, in this area, in this nation, in this world. We want to join with heaven to make earth more like heaven. That's what the kingdom is. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's go. Let's go. Um, so this, this, this message, this series, really started about a year ago. Um, it was December a year ago, and I was reading in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the genealogies of Jesus. How many people like to read the genealogies? Yep. Uh, yeah, a couple out there. I see you, brother. So <laughs> I'm reading in Luke, and, and there's two different genealogies in, in the Gospels, one in Matthew, and, and Matthew starts with Abraham and goes down to Jesus, and Luke starts with Jesus. He goes backwards. He starts with Jesus and goes all the way down to Adam. And so I'm reading in Luke, it's chapter 3, verse 23, and we're going to put it all on the screen here, I believe. Now it's going to be kind of hard to see because there's a lot there, okay? But what the Holy Spirit showed me as I was reading through this just fascinated me. And, and I put that away, tucked it away for the right time, and the right time is now. So I'm going to read this, some of this to you. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can read it later, all right? And you can get even more insight from these genealogies. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, Luke 3, verse 23. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Heli. Heli was the son of Mathat. Mathat was the son of Levi. I'm going to spare you this because we don't have time. But trust me, it goes on. And, and you see names in here that you'd recognize. You see Zerubbabel. You see um, David, King David. You see Boaz. All in the, in the genealogy of Jesus, you see 
Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. You see Noah. You see Methuselah. You see Enoch. And then you get down to Seth. And Seth was the son of Adam. And Adam was the son of God. And the contrast between Jesus and Adam is what stopped me in my tracks. And I'll just read that again for you. Jesus was was known as the son of Joseph. Adam was the son of God. Now we, we know that Jesus was the second Adam, right? That Jesus is the son, the son of God. And this is what fascinated me so much. The writer Luke is saying Jesus was known, and I know what he's trying to say, right? Because because Joseph was like, it was not his biological father. Joseph was his stepfather in a way. He's the one that, took, that stepped in to take care of him on this earth. So Jesus was known to humanity, known to the world as the son of Joseph. He was known to those that grew up with him in Nazareth. Oh, that's Jesus, the son of Joseph. But Adam was the son of God. The world saw a boy that grew up in a carpenter's home. He learned to work with wood. He was known as the carpenter from Nazareth. He was known as the son of Joseph. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Adam was the son of God. There's a, there's a story later on in Jesus' public ministry in his 30s in Matthew 13, and I'm just going to read a little bit for you so you can kind of catch where I'm going here. When Jesus arrived in his hometown of Nazareth, one day, he began teaching the people in the synagogue. Everyone was dazed and overwhelmed with astonishment over the depth of revelation they were hearing. And they said to one another, where did this man get all of his wisdom and miraculous powers? Isn't that the woodworker's son? Like, Patty, didn't he build us a table like a few years ago? <laughs> Probably, right? Like, hey, do you remember when that kid was 13 and he built the first chair for that guy down the street? I, I think I know him. Jesus, he's, 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 Joseph is his father, the carpenter. He, he learned that trade from his father. That's what we know him as. Isn't his mother Mary and, and his brothers Jacob, Joseph, Simon, and, and Judah, don't they live like a few blocks away from us? I think I even remember their phone number. Don't his sisters live here in Nazareth? I, yeah, I was just Facebooking one of his sisters the other day. Yeah, that's right. That's Jesus. We, we know him. He's the carpenter's son. How did he get all this revelation and power? And the people became, watch for it, offended and began to turn against him. And Jesus says, there's only one place a prophet isn't honored. And it's in his own hometown. They knew him too well. Only one shallow side of him. And their great unbelief kept Jesus from doing any mighty miracles in Nazareth. They were so close to Jesus, the carpenter, that they couldn't see Jesus as the Son of God. Hello? Don't you and I do this? Their lack of faith prevented him from doing any miracles in their midst. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says that God couldn't do miracles in Nazareth. 
I'm not going to get into the theology of that. But he wouldn't or couldn't because there was a lack of faith. Because there was an identity crisis. They could not see him as the son of God. They just knew him as the carpenter's son. See, God is attracted to faith. And he's attracted to faith that's together and builds up. When we look at the story of Abraham, all, all the stories throughout the Bible, God's attracted to groups of people, cities where faith is building. Faith is something that builds and grows. And God is attracted to that. And if we're wondering why we're not seeing the miracles that we see in the book of Acts, it's because of this. It's because, I believe, an identity crisis that we have. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Adam was the son of God. And here's a question, the question for each of us today. Who are you? Who are you? It's a... It's a at first glance, kind of a simple question that we gloss over and really have short answers for. But have you ever really wrestled with that question to what it really means? It's actually an incredibly tough question. Let's, for instance, let's take David out of that genealogy, okay? King David, we know who he is. We know the story of who, who that guy is, or we think we do. And David could say to us today, he said, David, who are you? He could say, oh, I'm a king, I'm a shepherd, I'm a musician, I'm a warrior. But that's not who he is. Those are byproducts of who he is, right? It, it, it says on my business card at work, it says I'm in sales. Um, I love hockey. I, I was born in Canada. I live in Peoria now. That's my hometown. Yeah. Proud of it. But none of those things describe who I am. They're all good things. But they are the fruit of who I am. Are you tracking with me? It's so incredibly important to download this into our souls. Who are you? When you look at yourself in the mirror, I don't know how much time you spend looking at yourself in the mirror. Now, this is an interesting question. Some of us avoid ourselves in the mirror. See, the world just knows you as a label, as the son of a carpenter, as whatever it says on your business card, whatever your hometown is, whatever place you grew up, whatever your last name is, whatever your family has done or the business you're involved in, by whatever friends you associate with, whatever neighborhood you live in, by your family, the country you're born in, but that's what the world knows you as. That's, that's a label that they put on you, but that's not who you are. And you can live your life as, as you are known by the world, and you can miss absolutely everything. I think it's the devil's greatest secret to keep you from finding out who you really are, how powerful you really are, that face that you avoid in the mirror, how powerful that person really is. Let me tell you who you are. And I think you know this up here, but it's about getting it from your head 18 inches down to your heart. You are a son. You are a daughter of the creator of the universe. Like the one who spoke and, and light just appeared out of nothing. 
at the sound of his voice. You, that person in the mirror, you look just like your father. Like the, the father, the, the one that put the stars in place, the one who spoke and they just appeared, who, who, who put the sun, just a medium-sized star in their just exact perfect place. He spoke and that happened. And that's a smallish star, our sun. You know, you could fit 1.3 million earths inside the sun. That happened when he spoke. Your father spoke. That happened. He spoke and flowers and sharks and whales and monkeys and palm trees appeared. Not in that order. Don't get me wrong. He spoke and butterflies and lizards and rocky mountains and the planet Saturn. That's a cool planet and lizards, and all this stuff we haven't discovered, whether it's big and far away or tiny and, and minute, that we're still discovering particles that are smaller than the last particle we discovered, and be like, well, that's the last one. No, I guarantee you it's not the last one. <laughs> he spoke, and galaxies and giraffes and oceans and islands just appeared. But God didn't speak to create you. There's a big difference. All of those things are amazing, wonderful creations. God, he got down on his hands and his knees. And he took some dirt that he'd already spoken to existence and he formed it so intricately. And he molded it. And then he did something absolutely incredible. He took his breath and he breathed his spirit into you that face that you look back in the mirror at. He breathed his spirit into you. And he set eternity in your heart, and he set you in a season of time, in a generation of time, for a very specific purpose. See, with everything that God created that he made, there is no other person like you. No one. Look, look to the person on your left. Your other left. You're, now you're right. Yeah, perfect. You don't look like them. You're made incredibly intricately special. But the thing that you have in common is you both look like your father. No one has the kind of design that you has that has quite that face of Jesus. No one has that kind of design on them that can quite show that particular angle of Jesus. Then we should be marveling at people more than sunsets and be like, oh man, I can hear from God from you a different way that I can hear from him and from her and from her. That is the miraculous creation, the most miraculous creation, the people that I'm surrounded with that look like my father. We're a family. You have his breath inside of you. Lions don't have that. Sunrises don't have that. Volcanoes don't have that. You have that. We marvel at all these things, which are great to be marveled at, yes, but we forget the people, the one, the face in the mirror especially. We should wake up every morning and look in the mirror and be like, wow. Not in a prideful way. We laugh because we don't do that, right? 
we should be like, wow, God, I see Jesus in my eye, these eyes that are looking back at me. And see, now he's got your, his breath inside of you. Now he needs you to move. He needs you to speak out for him. He needs you to create. See, he's not done creating. He's doing it through you. That's what the kingdom is. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're speaking and creating on your father's behalf. You're establishing dominion and authority of his kingdom here on earth, calling heaven down to collide with earth. You know that's how the story ends, right? Like, I, I think we get our, we do, we get our eschatology all wrong. I'm guilty of it. I should actually say that's how the story re-begins. See, it began in a garden. Everything changed again in a garden. It was reset in a garden when Jesus rose from the dead in that garden where he first saw Mary Magdalene. And then it'll begin again in a garden. Not in a garden in heaven. No, you're not, this is going to mess some of you up. You're not going to heaven when you die. That's a whole other series. Just keep that, don't get tripped up by that. Heaven is coming down to earth. Earth is going to be reset. God is preparing a place for us, but he's preparing it eventually here. This is the, the earth is not going to blow up by some nuclear explosion. God's going to reset it. I mean, maybe if it's his nuclear explosion to reset it, I don't know. But I'm telling you, we're staying here. Heaven is coming to collide with earth. And heaven is being established not in some distant time frame. It's starting now. Creation is groaning now. You are part of that creation, the most important part of that creation. And the kingdom is being established inch by inch, moment by moment in your heart. Mile by mile on this dirt, it's being reset, starting now. And you as a son or as a daughter, you're a part of that. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And I said it before, we know this up here, but we got to live it out down here in our hearts. Let me ask you a question. This is the sub-question that I'm guessing you've never asked yourself before, but maybe you have. Since you're a son or a daughter, and that's the, the identity we should live in, right? Tracking? How do we become better sons and daughters? Like, if that's the lane we're supposed to live our entire lives in, in that identity as sons and daughters, shouldn't we then work on becoming better sons and daughters? Like, not in a striving sense, but... but work towards that? Shouldn't we work on that flow, that rhythm of how we become better sons and daughters? The answer is yes. So I began to think, what, what makes a good son? How, how do you become a better daughter? And the only thing I could come up with was not something that we do. The only thing I could come up with was something that we are already. And so the only way to, to live in that flow, to live in that rhythm, to, to be that is to just actually be that. See, we, we are human beings. We talk a lot about our humanness. We don't talk a lot about our beingness. The only way we can live as sons and daughters is to 
to simply be sons and daughters. Let me explain it this way. Jesus talks in, this helped me, Jesus talks in John 15. He says, you'll recognize this passage, he says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they'll produce even more. Either way, you're getting cut. Hopefully, it's the latter, though. Hopefully, you're bearing fruit, right? You already have been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Here it is. Remain in me. Be. And I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Zilch, nada. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my father. What does it look like to be a son or a daughter? Remain. Remain in me. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The goal is good fruit. I love the concept of going after good fruit. Anybody like fruit in here? Like strawberries, all that stuff? Yeah, I I love actual fruit. I also love the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, all those. Heather can tell you, for five years, I've wanted to do this series called Where's the Fruit? I I have. It's coming. I'm going to get it one day. One day we will do it, hopefully. But that's the goal, right? Good fruit. Jesus said right there, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Here's the thing, though. It's not actually the goal. Fruit is not actually the goal. And you're like, well, Chris, didn't you just say it's the goal? When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. The problem with that is fruit's not the goal. It's a byproduct. It's a result. It's a result of something. It is not the goal. And we skip by that first part. I'm guilty of it. And we go after the fruit, even though the fruit's really good, like love, joy, peace, all that stuff. Really, really good, right? But we miss the whole point. Anyone ever been in a vineyard? There's definitely more than than that that raise their hand. Anyone ever been in a vineyard before? Oh, yeah, look at that. Hey, you are alive. Have you ever looked at the branches that are producing those grapes? Have you ever imagined a branch just like, you know, have you ever thought about a branch trying to produce a grape? And, and I'm just thinking, does a branch go like, okay, today i got to produce a grape. Let me just get the grape. Ah! There it is. Sorry, that's how my mind thinks. No, branches don't do that to produce grape. You know what they do? They're focused on one thing. They're focused on abiding in the vine. They're focused on resting and being a part of the vine. They're focused on remaining in the vine. You know what that branch is thinking? 
It's thinking, I'm going to drink deeply from the vine today. I'm going to abide in this vine today. I'm going to rest in this vine today. I'm going to soak up everything that this vine has to give to me. Oh, today, today the gardener is coming off to cut off a part of my branch. Oh, that hurts. But you know what? i got to trust the gardener because that part of my branch must not be producing anything. And by cutting that off, it's going to help me produce better fruit over here. So I'm just going to trust the gardener and remain and abide and rest. I'm going to soak in the vine. It's not about proving anything. It's not about necessarily, the fruit is great. The fruit is great, but we cannot miss the resting in the Father, the abiding in the Father, the remaining in the Father. See, you are already a branch And you are connected to the vine. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are connected to the Father. And your number one goal in life is to remain in the Father, to remain in Jesus, to abide in him, to drink deeply from him. That is who you are, to just be a son or a daughter. You're like, that's all well and good, Chris, but what does that look like practically on a daily basis? See, part of the problem is I think we've made a relationship with our Father a ritual. It's a relationship. It's not a ritual. This is where legalism comes in. We, we know, I know you've been there because I've been there too. We know we should be reading the Word, right? We know we should be praying, but we treat it as a ritual instead of a result. Those are results of being a son. That is fruit of being a daughter. Those things are fruit. And if we put it backwards, we'll mess ourselves up. We'll get legalistic. We won't look at it the right way because we must start from a place of relationship, from a place of being a son or a daughter, from a place of resting in the Father. Everything we do in this life And the next is about remaining and abiding in the Father. And simply being a son, being a daughter. But we have to get to the place where we can look ourselves in the mirror and see that, right? Think about the prodigal son. He had everything. He walked away from the Father, though. Squandered it all. Ended up in the pig pen. And all of us, in one way, shape, or form, are sitting in some sort of pig pen this morning. I believe that. It might be a bigger pen than than others. It's not about the size of the, the dirt or the pen that you're in. It's the fact that you're away from home. You're away from the Father. And if you're away from the Father, you cannot produce what he needs you to produce. See, some of you are sitting in the pen, the pig pen right now, and you're, you haven't forgiven yourself. You've forgiven others. You've forgiven, um, you've asked the Father to forgive you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. You're calling it regret, regretting things of the past, but it's actually judgment that you're placing against yourself. It's the reason you can't look yourself in the mirror and see the face of Jesus. 
And because of that, your relationship with the Father is strained. Because of that, you don't know who you really are. Because of that, you cannot fully receive the love that the Father is trying to pour out on you because you haven't allowed yourself to move and go back home. See, this series is all about movement. And it starts with the movement of our heart, the identity of who we really are. I think most of the time, you are in the way of you. The day before Thanksgiving, I got righteously angry about something. And uh, I may have had every right to be angry. But it's kind of like, the way I can describe it is like, remember Peter in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus? He like whips out his sword and like cuts off that guy's ear. That was me. And I ended up cutting some people that I love not intentionally, but because I was not remaining in who I should be. And so Thanksgiving Day, I had asked, I had asked a lot of different people to forgive me, like fairly quickly. I'd asked God to forgive me. I'd asked my wife and my family and several others to forgive me. But the next day, Thanksgiving, I was sitting in that pig pen because I couldn't forgive myself for one silly, stupid thing. We have to always develop this rhythm in our lives of coming back home, of returning like the prodigal back home. It may be a five-minute rhythm, (laughs) but we have to get there, back to the place of abiding in him. We have to learn to become sons and daughters again. You know, uh, a lot of times I'll be sitting at home in my big chair. <clears throat> Just pretend this is my big chair. It's not. I'm bigger than this chair. And my son will come over and he'll just cuddle up. My, th- my 13-year-old son will cuddle up just like this. And I thought, you know what it's like practically to be a son or a daughter, this is what it is. It's learning to lean in to your father. This is a picture of the prodigal coming home. This is a picture of the rhythm in our lives that should constantly be there. This is a picture of being a son, being a daughter. We need to lean in and listen. I think a lot of times we do too much talking It's this prayer that's out of a ritual and a duty instead of just listening to our Father. Our Father has so many things that he wants to speak over us. You remind me of like when I was holding you as a baby. (laughs) Our Father has so many things that he wants to speak over us. I think some of the time the problem is that we're just talking too much to actually listen. And then thirdly, we need to receive the love. And we can only receive the full love of the Father if we are in this position. And then from that place, thanks, buddy, from that place, we can look at ourselves in the mirror in the morning in confidence of who we really are in the Father. So I want you to try something this week. I want you to do three things. Whatever it looks like for you, start creating a rhythm in your life of leaning into the Father. Create space, create moments in your life of leaning in. 
that may mean you have to cut out some other things. That you may have to put down the Insta so you can lean in to the Father. And then I want you to, in your prayer time this week, that it's not coming out of a duty, I want you to just listen. Don't say anything. Just listen and see what he downloads into you. And then when you're in that place, then you'll be able to receive the love and the grace that is never-ending that is being poured out for you. That's what it means to be a son or a daughter. Now, everything in God's creation, he, he, he created separation, if you think about it. He separated waters from um, the earth, from the sky. He, he separated light from dark. He separated the sun and the moon. He, he created animals and birds in different categories. He separated all these things. But with you and him, there is no separation. He put himself in you, and he put you in him. Think about that for a moment. Make your brain explode. You are his likeness. You are his likeness here on earth. He breathed into you so that you could breathe him out, but you can only do that from a position of being a son, being a daughter, being able to look yourself in the mirror and say, whoa, I see the face of Jesus today. Because if we can't do that, and I'm guilty of it, it's shame and guilt that's trapping us. What was the first thing that, that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what's the first thing they experienced the enemy attacked them in? Shame and guilt. They realized they were naked, and they isolated themselves from the Father. So we have to counteract that by leaning in, by listening, and by receiving his love. Amen? So once I was able to <laughs> process this anger I had against myself on Thanksgiving, I had a moment the other night of leaning in to the Father, of listening to the Father, allowing his love to just cascade over me. And I can't really describe what it was like. All I know is that I didn't go to bed until 2.30 in the morning. And it was just receiving love just receiving love. It's hard to describe spiritual moments sometimes because Romans 8 says the spirit is, it, it's not about you saying words sometimes, it's about the spirit speaking and groaning on your behalf, but putting yourself in the right position to make that happen. Why don't you stand up for just a moment? Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Adam was the son of God. You know, I just realized this morning that I'm pretty sure this is the fifth year exactly of when we gathered as a church five years ago today in December. I preached a message on stars that, that morning, and I realized it in my run through this morning when I was talking about the sun. But ever since the first day at Camp of Champions when we met there, we all just started doing stuff, doing different jobs, and the one thing I started doing that morning was setting up these oddly matched chairs. You guys will remember if you were there. A bunch of mishmashed chairs for a bunch of broken people. And from that moment on, it's been like a, a rhythm of mine to set up the chairs every week, and, or at least help in doing that. And 
One of the, it's, it's one of my favorite times of the week when the band's playing up here, worshiping before doing their run through, and I'm just setting up chairs, and what I'll do is I'll pray over each chair for the people that are coming into this place today. I'm not praying for the chair, I'm praying for the people. But God will bring, the Spirit will bring to mind different people as I pass different chairs. And most, if not all of your names, have come to my mind, and I'll pray for you what the Spirit brings to my mind as I pass those chairs. But there's one chair that I pass every moment that just wrecks me. And it's not your chair. It's my chair. Because I remember as I passed that chair that I'm a son and that I'm loved and that I can receive his love. So I want you to do something different this morning. I want you to go behind the chair that you're sitting in. Keep standing. I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to picture that you're looking at yourself in the mirror. Do you see his face? Do you see his face, daughter, in your eyes? Do you see his face, son, in his face? Yeah, you look just like your father. You were made in his image. You have his breath inside of you. I want you to just take a moment and lean in. Just feel his arms around you. Just lean in to the Father. Let him give you a giant hug this morning. Let him encourage you and strengthen you and comfort you in the areas that you are weak in. Let his spirit rise up within you. Yeah. Then I want you to listen. Listen for his still, small voice. He's speaking to you. And he's going to tell you to move. He's going to tell your heart to move, to come back home. In whatever area you need to come back home, if you're offended at someone, if you can't look yourself in that mirror, if it's shame and guilt that's preventing you from fully being a son or daughter in this moment, just come home. Father hasn't gone anywhere. He's still looking for you. He's standing at the edge of heaven's gates and he's looking for you. He's standing right there. He's in your spirit. He's just waiting for you to fully come back home. So come home. And just fall into his arms. Receive his love. 
He doesn't see your past. He doesn't see that mistake you made five minutes ago. He is faithful and just to forgive you. Your sins are as far as the east is from the west. If you've, if you've confessed them, they are gone. And if you don't know him today, if today you've never turned to Jesus, you can do that right now in your spirit. You just say, God, I'm coming to you. I'm coming home. I'm coming to the place where I belong. I'm an image bearer. I'm yours. I've looked myself in the mirror now, and I know that I see Jesus. Thank you for receiving me into your kingdom. I still closed. I just want to read this verse prophetically over you. The prophetic just simply means, as Paul wrote, to strengthen, encourage, and comfort your spirit. This is Romans 8. And it says, The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, Abba, Father, Papa. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us, as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. Since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. Father, thank you for this word this morning. I pray that we would step into this move that you have, this kingdom that you are shaking up. Sons and daughters rising up to take their true place. We speak against all evil and the enemy in this moment, all shame and pride and, and corruption that rises up within us, and we put that to death. And we live in the true identity of who you created us to be. We will not be known as what the world sees us. We are sons. We are daughters of the Most High God. We look like Jesus. And we are so grateful, so thankful for you today as we move our hearts further into your kingdom.